If you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. Um, that song reminds me of uh, an experience I had a few months ago, probably maybe a year ago. And uh, I have an employee. We had a small company and we... Uh, of course, we've closed that company out now, but I had an employee, and uh, his name is Kevin. Kevin is bipolar. Uh, Kevin has um, a lot of issues, a lot of issues. He's a social outcast. He was a former drug addict, uh, spent some time in prison, uh, long-haired hippie, and, uh, and just uh, antisocial. His mama dropped him off at a children's home when he was five, and uh, she he she wanted to marry a man, didn't want the children, so she put all her children in a children's home, and so she could marry the man. And Kevin said, "I cried for two weeks, and then I decided I'd never cry again." And became a bitter, bitter man, and uh, I just met him by accident. He did a job, and I needed some help, but Kevin and I just. I tried to help Kevin all these years. He'd been working for me off and on for nine years now. And uh, so uh, I've done Bible studies with Kevin. I've tried to love him. And my wife and I gave him a Christmas present several years ago. And he said, it's the first Christmas present I ever received. And he said, nobody's ever loved me like you and Miss Pike. And, and uh, But uh, Kevin and I... Kevin is just obnoxious, to say the least. So anyway, I had can't tell you the whole story, but I told him to do something and not to do something, and he just went and done it anyway And and uh, last year. And I, I just, he got in my face. He got close enough that his nose was almost touching mine. And when he did, I shoved him. I'm 76, and... Kevin's about 60, but I shoved him backwards. Well, when he did, he drew back his fist like that and just, he was, he was, he was going to hit me, I thought. So I'm thinking, not thinking, I thought the best thing I can do is jump in his face. So I jumped back in his face and I said, go ahead, just hit me one time. Just hit me one time. My wife said, are you stupid? (laughs) I was at that moment. So, so I said, just go ahead and me. Well, he dropped his fist and started crying like a baby, just bawling. But I was so angry. I mean, I was angry. I was shaking all over. I was bitter. I said, Kevin, come in the office here. I'm writing you a check. Get off my property. I don't want to ever see you again. And I said, I put up with you as long as I intend to put up with you. Well, he's begging, Mr. Bike, please don't fire me. Mr. Bike, I need this job. Mr. Bike, please forgive me. And so we had sat down at the desk, and, and uh, he said, please forgive me. And I said, Kevin, how many times do I have to forgive you? And a voice came back and said, 70 times 7. <laughs> I, I said, Lord, stay out of this. Me and Kevin, God, just, just stay out of it. <laughs> so I said, Kevin, I'm sorry. I got angry. I've tried to get you not to get angry, and I got angry, so forgive me. And so I had my hands like this on the desk, and I went to pray, and I felt Kevin's hands laying on top of mine. 
<laughs> and he's crying like a baby. <laughs> Isn't God's mercy good? Amen. Oh, I tell you. And uh, he's still working for me. I've fired him 27 times. But, <laughs> but, uh, but, but that voice was as real 70 times 7. <laughs> so I've had to go to the Lord 70 times 7 so many times. But he always forgives when we are sincere. And you pray for Kevin. He is... Uh, he has come a long way, but he needs a long way to go. Matthew 22. Thank you for letting me be here, Pastor. It's always a joy. Uh, Brother James and I have had sweet fellowship through the years, and he has been an inspiration to me and encouragement to me, and, and uh, never in any way has he ever disappointed me, and I appreciate him so very much. Pray for he and his wife. You know uh, he's a great pastor, great preacher. Uh, but also you can tell we're all getting a little bit older and a little more feeble and, um, and we need prayers more and more. Our pastor now in our church said, I thought I'd have trouble keeping up with the young people. He said, I can't find the older people unless I visit them at the doctor's office. <laughs> so, uh, that's about the truth. you know. And you know, have you noticed that you can't have a, a doctor? You've got to have a doctor for every part of your body. There's a finger doctor and a hand doctor. By the time you get to all of them, I figured it out. They all are on the same computer network. And when one of them needs something to pay for a car or their house, they just put on there, I need $300, refer somebody to me. (laughs) (laughs) Referring them to one another. So so anyway, it's it's where we are. But uh, pray for him. And uh, when I preach... Um, whatever it is, it's, it's me, but, uh, I learned a long time ago, I have to be me and, and, uh, it's all I can be, but I just wrestle so in knowing what to preach in the mind of God. And, you know, when you preach for 50 years, you have a lot of sermons that you can go to and pull something out and, and, um, and yet that's not, and sometimes God uses that and, but that's not what I want. I believe that every service is a appointed time for God to meet with us to do something for us today in this context. It's not just Sunday morning and we're at church. It's not just another uh, service, but it is a God-appointed time to speak from the speaker to me. And... Uh, and so we're here today to hear from God. Amen. We're here to search our own hearts and do business with God according to His Spirit and His Word. If you think about it, in eternity past, God has known who would be here today. Yeah. He has known who would be speaking today. Uh, he has in His providence guided us to this day and uh, you might ask why Uh, I don't know that we know that answer but I do know that it is God who brought you here today and brought me here today for a special purpose and whatever it is that he's given me he wants for you and for me a preacher always has to deal with the subject matter for himself before he can deal with it in delivery. I hope you understand that. He, 
it's a wrestling in your own self. And so uh, as it is today, I had no idea I would preach from this text when I left home. Uh, I, I did not intend to come to this text, but I believe that's where God would have us to be today. Uh, so if you have found your place in Matthew 22, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? If you're able, I, I've learned that more and more, and not everybody is able to stand. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, parables are earthly story with a heavenly application or meaning. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like, what's it like? You, you ever think about that? My mom asked me in dying, she said, Johnny, what's it like? What's it like in heaven? I said, I don't have any idea. She said, what the Bible says, I know what the streets are going to be paved with, and I know the gates of pearl. I don't, the Bible says every gate's made of one pearl. I don't want to see the pearl. I just want to see the oyster it came out of. <laughs> it may be served at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But, but, uh, uh, but I want to know what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus is trying to present this truth about the kingdom of heaven. And he says, like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, coming to the marriage. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and sent forth his army and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all, uh, as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished and the guest. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man that had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how canst thou, uh, why camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Father, add your blessings to the reading of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, he said, This kingdom. It's like a certain uh, king who made a marriage supper for his, land, for his son. And uh, he wanted uh, it to be well attended. And so he sent his servants out to bid them. That invitation was for. The primary interpretation here is relating to the Jewish nation. And God in choosing Israel and bringing salvation through Israel, through the birth of Christ our Savior. But he's referring to these who were bidden. And he said they sent the servants out to call them, and they would not come. Boy, that's a sad statement, isn't it? When God bids uh, one to come, and he will not come. 
I, I remember that night, uh, Sunday night in 1965, in a Baptist church to which I'd never attended any church, I'd never been inside a church building, but twice in my entire life, three times. And uh, I remember sitting on the left back pew at the very back, and uh, conviction gripped my heart. And I remember when the preacher gave the invitation, um, I went out the back door. I would not come. I would not come. Now, I thank God for his mercy and his, for his spirit and his convicting power that on Wednesday night I did attend with my then girlfriend who's now my wife. And uh, thank God uh, this preacher preached the gospel as well. And that night I said, Lord, I come. I come. And uh, what a change has been made in my life. May I say to you, when God moves on your heart, just do it. Just do it. Just do it. It may be embarrassing. It may be whatever it is. It may be hard. It may be uncertain. Tomorrow's may be uncertain. But just do it. I promise you, you'll never look back with regret when you're bidden by God to just do it. Uh, just do what He says. But they would not come. And again, he sent forth his servants, tell them which were bidden. Behold, I've prayed my dinner and my oxen and my fatling are killed, and all things are ready, coming to the marriage. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. In other words, they're too busy. In another passage, it talks of one who had bought a farm and had to go see it, and another who bought an ox and had to prove him, and another who married a wife and could not come. Uh, dear preacher of old, uh, Bobby Jackson had a sermon with that. He called it the farm, the ox, and the henpecked husband. But uh, it's a fool that has bought a piece of ground and never seen it. <laughs> it's not a wise man who's bought a mule and hadn't ever tried him out. But it's a worse man who's married a wife and cannot come because she won't let him. <laughs> if that was me, I'd just make up some other excuse. Uh, yeah, you can look over and ask her if you can say amen. <laughs> but they made light of it. Well, we're living in a day that the things of God are treated lightly, if not with sheer disrespect. Amen? amen. We're, treated, we're living in a day when those in the church treat the things of God lightly. Everything in the world takes precedence over spiritual things and that ought to be the opposite. All that secular stuff of our life ought to take second place to what God's place is. Amen. And it ought to permeate our secular life, what the will of God is, what we do and what we don't do. Uh, by the way, you let your children, you start teaching them, and they go out to get a job, and, and, uh, and, and they say to the employer, well, I can't work on Sunday. Uh, most places are lying to them when they say, well, we won't ask you to do that. It won't be but about a month, and they'll call them and say, well, you've got to work this Sunday. And after a while, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, listen, there ought to be some things that you just say, I'm not going to do. I'm sorry. I'll just have to get another job. Now, I'm not down on shift work. I know people have to work shifts, and I know those kind of things. But I'm going to tell you, it's a difference in having to and a difference in choosing to. There's a lot of difference in the things. And if we're not careful, we've let spiritual things become second place to us. And, uh, and that's 
That's not right. But they're too busy. They made an excuse is the point. They said, I can't come. I'm too busy. I've got this form. I've got this work I've got to do. And then verse 6, And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Israel not only had several opportunities to, to certainly yield to God and be what they ought to be for God and, and to accept his son when he came for sure. John tells us he came into his own and his own received him not. But they didn't stop there. Let me say this. When you start saying no to God, you won't stop by just saying no to God. It will intensify and your resentment toward God will grow. You get that? The more you say no to God, the more you will have to put out the voice of God from your ear and from your mind. You will stop your ears and you'll do it one way or the other. If you say no to God, you're opening yourself up to untold misery and heartache because it does not stop there. And so they slew him. They they eventually killed the Savior, of course. But then in verse 7, But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and sent forth his army and destroyed those murders and burned up their city. Now scholars tell us that he's certainly referring to the demise of Jerusalem in 70 AD when the Roman soldiers come in and burn the city, and uh, maybe so. But the picture here is of judgment, of a judgment upon Israel and upon their rejection of the Savior. But I think it has a broader application in that it is a picture of God's judgment toward those who reject the Lord. God is a God of judgment. That's right. Now, I, I want to pause here for purpose. Uh, God, we have forgotten that God is not granddaddy. God is not even mama and daddy who lie to their children over and over by saying, if you keep doing that, you're going to get a spanking, and they never get a spanking. You just lied to them and taught them that lying is okay, and you're also teaching them that authority's word is not really real, it's not important. You hear me? We are, we are opening ourselves up. God is not a granddaddy. God is a God of judgment. And, and I believe that we've forgotten the doctrine of the judgment of God. We, we've so focused on the love of God until we forgot that he's a God of judgment before he's a God of love. Let me say this. If God is, God could not love without the payment of sin, his love can never be executed. In other words, God loved the world so much that he would not write off their sins. He demanded they be paid for, and the only one that could justifiably qualify to pay for them was his own son, so he sent his son to die on the cross. You want to know where the judgment of God is in 316? He's hanging on the cross. Now, if God hated sin enough to send his own son to die on the cross so that his love could be extended toward us, then may I say to you, God is still a God of judgment. He still hates sin. He still hates sin. 
And he said, the kingdom of God is like a God that's taking justice upon Israel and judging them severely and destroying them as a nation. And for 1,900 plus years, he scattered them to the full winds of the world. They said, uh, his blood be upon us and upon our children. And surely no nation has ever reaped what Israel has reaped and still reaping it as they were scattered and persecuted for 1,900 years. God keeps His Word. He's a God of judgment. He still hates your sin and my sin. And God still says we reap what we sow and God will judge us. The first sermon I ever preached, I preached on November 7, 1960, uh, 1972. And I preached from that text in, in Corinthians, if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged, but when we're judged of the Lord, we're chastened of the Lord that we'll not be condemned with the world. May I tell you that God warns us about the judgment of God upon my life as a believer as well as upon the life of the unbeliever. There is a hell waiting for those who do not repent and get right with God. There is a hell that's waiting. Turn in your Bible, hold your place there, but turn in your Bible to the book of Psalm. And I really intend to preach from Psalm 9 and May tonight, I'm not sure. But I want you to turn here to a, a, a little phrase that we forget that David wrote in this Psalm. This actually the Psalm title of this Psalm is The Death of a Son. But David is written of the mercy and grace of God and the goodness of God in the first verses of the Psalm. And and he comes down to verse 16, and he said, The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The Lord is known by the judgment he executeth. May I say to you, it doesn't say that the Lord is known by the love he extends, but by the judgment he executeth. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation. Turn to the book of Revelation chapter 20. That great white throne judgment. I'm teaching through the book of Revelation in Sunday school. and, and uh, But in this 20th verse, this great white throne judgment is, is here where the world will be judged. I want you to notice verse 11. And I saw the great white throne and him that sat on it from whose faith the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. These are the record books. And another book was open. I think that's this book, the Bible. Another book was written, uh, which is the book of life. Uh, surely there is a registry of those that have been born again and saved. So it's the book of life. This, this Bible is a book of life as well. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their work. What was written in the record books of each human life is the life that they lived in reference to obedience or disobedience to God. In other words, your sins are recorded on record before God unless they're blotted out by the blood of Jesus Christ they will meet you at the throne of God and those deeds will stand to accuse you before a holy God and condemn you. God is a God of judgment. Look at verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead that were in them and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works. 
according to their works, they were judged. God is a God of judgment. Look at 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. God is a God of judgment. Verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God is a God of judgment. Well, who will be judged and for what will they be judged? Their works. Look in chapter 21, verse 8. But the fearful, the fearful. In other words, uh, those that are afraid to give their life to God, to submit to God, to yield to God, to honor God, to reverence God. And the unbelieving, those who in their mind will not accept the truth of God that's presented in creation and in the word, the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God is a God of judgment. Come on, help me. God is a God of judgment. I say this with me. God will judge my sin. Now, I'm going to tell you, thank God if you're washed in the blood, you've been cleansed by the power of God, you've been born again by the Spirit of God. Thank God that your sins are blotted out. And God says, I'll remember them no more. But may I say as a believer, you're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be judged according to our works. Even as a believer, God is still a God of judgment. Whether you're living for God the way you ought to and doing what you ought to be doing and living for him and honoring him and having the motives that are right and putting him first in your life and living a life of honor and glory to God, you're going to be judged as a believer at the judgment seat of Christ. God will judge our everyday life in one place or the other, either as a saved believer at the judgment seat of Christ or as a lost man at the great white throne judgment of God. But it doesn't change the fact that we've got to give an account of our life and how we live. And we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that we're going to stand before God. Turn, if you will, to the book of John in, in, uh, in uh, chapter 16. The book of John in chapter 16. We're talking about the Holy Spirit of God and He tells us the Holy Spirit is going to come and Jesus is leaving. Look at verse 7 of chapter 16. He said, nevertheless, I tell you a truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, I want you to look at me. Uh, here you say, well, God promises us uh, that the Holy Spirit of God was going to come. And, and certainly we are born again by the Spirit of God. And Holy Spirit of God lives in us. And uh, he's called here a comforter. That word means, it's a Greek word, parakletos. And it carries with it the idea, one called to walk along beside or companion, if you will, one called to be with us. Truth of it is, he's in us. He dwells in us. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. We have this idea of the comforter. He's somebody there to soothe over all of our troubles and all of our problems. 
We see him as, as mother when there's a rainstorm and, and the, the baby's scared and, and crawls out of bed and runs to mama and she pulls back the cover and he crawls in bed with her and she strokes his forehead and says, it'll be all right. And he goes to sleep and we get this idea of the comforter. Thank God he's like that. Well, I'll tell you, there's been a lot of times in life when I'm scared to death, my life a ruin, my life in a mess, my tears are flowing, I'm scared of everything, and so I run to God, and I've found always that He's ready to pull back His wonderful cover and pull me up to His best and say, it'll be all right, everything's going to be okay, I'm still in charge. Thank God for the comforter of God, Amen. And uh, so there is that idea. But we also get this idea of this comforter as someone who's always encouraging us and, and uh, lifting us up and strengthening us and, and, uh, and guiding us. And certainly he is that. He guides me all the time. He comforts me when I'm, I'm disappointed or I don't know which way to go. He guides me. And in fact, look at this next verse or, or part of the verse uh, in verse uh, Eight, he says, when he has come, he reproved the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, a judgment called the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say in you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive a mine and show it unto you. All things of the Father uh, hath are mine. Therefore I said that he shall take of mine and shall show it to you. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that opens our mind and helps us see, understand the Word of God who deals with our hearts and motivates us to go in a direction that we never dreamed to go in. The Holy Spirit of God teaches us day by day to walk right. He tells us when things are wrong. He tells us when things are right. Sometimes He uses our conscience. He says, you know that's not right. Don't go down that road. You know not to say that. Quit saying that. You know you ought not to dress that way. Please quit dressing that way the Holy Spirit of God is constantly in us and guiding us and moving upon us and instructing us and lifting us up to be glory to be a, have a glorified life toward God thank God for his Holy Spirit Amen. but look back if you will at verse 8 about the Holy Spirit he says and when he has come he will make you feel good when he has come, he'll rejoice your heart. Notice what the Holy Spirit says about himself in this text. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. You know what the Holy Spirit does first and foremost? He says that is wrong. That violates the law of God. That violates, violates the nature of of God. That is not God-like. That is disobedience to God. The Holy Spirit of God is a spirit of judgment. Amen. That's right. 
That's wrong. People say to me, well, you shouldn't judge anybody. May I say this to you? If it's in the book, then it's not my judgment. It's God's judgment. If you're a liar, you're a liar. And the Bible says liars, I have no part in the lake of fire. If you're a drunkard, then you're a drunkard. And the Bible says there's no place in heaven for the drunkard. If you're a whoremonger or fornicator, then you are sinned against God Almighty. And that's the word of the Holy Spirit of God. And God's spirit is the spirit of judgment. He reproves the world of sin. He says it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. It violates everything there is about God. And sin is not just not obeying a law of God, it's violating the very nature of God. And the Holy Spirit's duty is to point out sin. Notice secondly, he said he reproved the world of righteousness. He doesn't just stop at reproving the world of sin. Instead, he tells us what's right. He tells us what's right. It's right to be pure. It's right to dress modestly. It's right to be decent. It's right to be honest. It's right to be hard worker. It's right not to be lazy. It's right to be in church. It's right to be in church when all the services come. It's right not to forsake the assembling of thyself together as a man of some is. It's right to pay your tithe. It's right to be honoring to your wife and love her like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It's right for the wife to be submitted to her husband. It's right for children to obey their parents. It's right for us to read the Word of God. It's right for us to yield to the Spirit of God. It is right. The Holy Spirit of God tells us what's wrong, and the Holy Spirit of God tells us what's right. And that in itself is a judgment of God. God is a God of judgment. We've forgotten it. And then he says, clearly, and the Holy Spirit will reprove the world of judgment. In other words, he said, look, buddy, there's a reckoning day coming. There's a reckoning day coming. There's a judgment day coming. You know what? We're not afraid of God at all today. Why should we be? We don't have to be afraid of our parents. They don't keep their word. We're not afraid of the government. We're not afraid of school teacher. In fact, school teachers tell me now that the most awful place in the world would be more school teachers are quitting than ever. They don't have any discipline over school kids. Little boy, six or seven years old, told me in vacation Bible school, don't you touch me, I don't have to do what you say. He says that to the school teacher too. Yeah. You know, it's true. We don't fear God today because somehow we've forgotten that God is a God of judgment. Now, I thank God for His love, but I'm going to tell you, we need, a, we need a good, fresh dose of the fear of God's judgment. The Bible says in Hebrews that God chastens those that He loves. Turn to Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 reminds us of what time it is but it doesn't remind me of what time to quit. Uh, Look at Hebrews 12. He reminds us uh, of God's judgment. And he said in verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh to you as unto children. He's speaking to saved people. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. He said, 
And uh, in verse uh, 6, And whom the Lord loveth, he chasteth and scourgeth. Now, I, I got an idea of what chastening is, and I know what scourging is. My mama would chasten me with a switch, but my mama taught me how to dance. She did. Uh, and uh, she uh, would get, take me by the left hand with her left hand, and the switch that she'd made me go cut in her right hand, and we would usually be in the yard because it took a lot of room. And when she got to pop in the back of them legs, she told me how to do the St. Vitus Day dance. She'd have been arrested and put in the lowest pit of jail today. You said she was abusing you. She was chastening me and scourging me for my good. Hear me now. Listen to me. Because she loved me. And my Bible says God is a God that takes His disobedient children when they will not repent and God chastens and scourges them. Preacher friend of mine went to the hospital and the lady had gallstones and they'd take them out and put them in formaldehyde. Give them to her. I don't know what anybody would want with a gallstone. And when she walked in, the preacher spoke to her and she said, you want to see my gallstones? And he held them up. She held them up like that. And the preacher looked and he said, they're not gallstones. He said, I've seen a lot of gallstones. They're not gallstones. She said, well, they told me they were. He said, they're not gallstones. She said, what are they? He said, tithes and offerings. You got that. That may be the reason your car is sitting in the garage. Huh? Uh, you know, all trouble is in the chasing of God. I'm going to tell you, when you're not living right, you better count it as the chasing of God because if He didn't cause it, He sure wants to use it Amen. to apply to your life. He chasing us. I buried a child five years old because I wouldn't repent and get right with God. You say, God would never do that. He's a loving God. He's a chastening, churgy, churgy, uh, chastening and scourging God. And when I repented, when I would not hear the call of God, when I would not listen to God, when I made up excuses of God, as a believer, the only recourse God had in my life was to take that child at five years old, and through her death, God said, wake up. And understand, this is serious business. It's a sobering business. You're dealing with a holy God. You're not dealing with Santa Claus. And we forgot that. We don't want to see that side of God because somehow the world around us and even the church around us and even sometimes the preaching around us has made us soft and made God soft and fluffy. May I tell you, God ain't soft and fluffy. And He chasteneth. If you don't believe it, you go to 1 Corinthians, you'll find out that God... The Lord said in that 11th chapter that for this cause many are weak and sickly among you. Why? Because they were disobedient in how they were carrying out the Lord's Supper and they were disrespecting God and His church. And God said, even many of you sleep. In other words, some have died because of it. 
You don't believe God's a God of judgment to the church and to his children? Look at Sapphire and Ananias. When they lied to the Holy Spirit, they dropped dead. You say, well, God only did that one time. Listen, one time. Listen, may I say to you, God explained to us in that one time, not demonstrated to us that he don't have to do it a dozen times for you to understand how he feels about lying to the Holy Spirit. He don't like it. You say, preacher, you're harsh. I'm not harsh. God's not harsh when he chastens us. He said he does it because he loveth us. He does it for our holiness. He does it for our righteousness. Sin only brings destruction. Sin only brings perversion. Sin only brings disappointment. Sin ruins everything that it touches. And God is saying, listen, wake up, wake up, wake up, America. God says, don't go down that road. And he chasteneth us. He judgeth us. And to the psalmist, he said, God is known by his judgments. He is known. It is a fearful thing, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. He wrote that to believers, not to a lost world. He said it's a fearful thing. America has forgotten God. And it has forgotten that the same God that raised us up can put us down. And may I remind you, God is still on the throne. Now, this text, I didn't get to the main part of what I think the Lord would have us. And that is the king sold a man with a wedding garment, with a, no wedding garment. He said, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? That wedding garment is the robe of the righteousness of Christ. Without it, you'll never attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. And God said to this one that got in, how did he get in? Well, he was invited, but he got in. Why did God judge him if he was invited to the wedding feast? Because he was there, but not because he wanted to be. He was there not to honor God, the king, nor his son. He was there for whatever social gains he could get. He was there for whatever fleshly motive he could provide. He was there for some ulterior motive. But there's one thing for sure. He wasn't there to honor the king, and he wasn't there to honor the king's son. I don't know why you're here today, but I'm going to tell you one thing. If you came for any other reason than if you want to give your life, you want to give honor and glory to the Son of God whom this church represents, you're out of place. Now, it's not because they don't want you. They want you more than anything in the world. But the truth is God wants you to put on the robe. He's provided for you. You can't provide it for yourself. It was the custom in that day that the host who invited you to the banquet would give you the proper robe when you arrived to dress in. So him not having the robe was not God's fault. It was not the king's fault. It was his fault. He had not yielded to it. And may I say to you, God Almighty through his son has a robe of righteousness. He wants to enclose you in and you'll be part of the body of Christ. You'll be part of the family of God. You'll be part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And without that robe, you are lost. He said, bind him, bind him and cast him in the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May I say to you, if we don't accept the Lord Jesus Christ and yield our life to him and repent of our sins, there's no hope for us. 
But when we do, oh, what glory floods our soul at the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a day that will be. I'll tell you, somebody in my church says, I don't believe we're going to eat in heaven. I said, well, you can be a heretic if you want to. I believe at the marriage supper. And if, if supper, then it's got to be from the south part of heaven. And if it's from the south, they're going to be butter beans and fried chicken and ham hocks and part of that oyster. And, and I don't know what it'll be like, but I'm going to tell you, I'm glad that because Christ has provided for me righteousness in the shedding of his own blood, I'm glad that one day I'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb and I can say, praise be to God, I was invited to the feast of all feasts. I have no right or merit here, but the King of Kings sent me a message that He wanted me to come and I came and He clothed me in all of His glory. But I remind you there is a hell that waits and judgment that waits from a judging holy God for the one who will not repent and yield to God. Heavenly Father, We came here today on the providential guidance of your spirit. Lord, then that means that the message were for us. We must do something with it. We cannot ignore it. We can no longer be too busy for it. We can reject it. But God help us not do that. I don't know what believer there is here that toying with sin and disobedience in their life who needs to find a place on the altar to repent this morning and allow you to cleanse him of his sinfulness. I don't know what lost person is here, Lord, but I know whatever reason they came here to this particular service, the reason you brought them here was that you might robe them in the robe of the righteousness of Christ. If they'll repent of their sins and by faith receive Jesus, they can go out victorious, born again by the power of God. Deal with their heart. Give them courage and faith to come this morning. Kneel on an old-fashioned altar. Somebody pray with them so they can go out rejoicing in Jesus Christ. Somebody you're calling to preach. Somebody you put your hand on them to go to the mission field. Somebody you put your hand on them to, to Lord, to break that relationship with that person that's not saved. I don't know what, what you're doing, but I know you're doing something today in this message. Now may it be completed in these next few moments in Jesus' name. I want you to stand with the heads bowed and eyes closed. Now I want you to look right up here at me. I want you to look at me. Give me the pulpit mic back if you would, fellas. I want you to listen to me. Look at me. God does not waste His time. God called us together today. I'm more convinced than ever God called me to this message. I wish I could have done better at it. But I know God's speaking to hearts this morning. I know He spoke to my heart through it when I was dealing with it last night and this morning. Now, I want to ask you, listen, I want, to, I want to encourage you. Don't say no to the call of God. Maybe you're not used to the call of God. I wasn't when I went to church. But it was that gnawing inside of the Spirit of God. I didn't know it then. But when he was saying, you know, you're wrong and you're going to hell when you die, that was the sweet voice of God calling me to repentance. 
And it was that same voice that said, if you'll give your heart to Christ, He'll save your soul. And He did. But please don't go out until you've made right with God. Please find a place on this altar. Nobody's going to embarrass you. I promise you that. If you can't kneel, you can sit on the front pew. Somebody will deal with you. We're here. We're here because God wants you. We're here because God wants you to be right with Him. That's why the church exists, so others can be right with God. So we can be the force we need to be in this world. So I want everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. The musicians are going to play. Will you step out from your seat, Christian, if you need to? And lead the way for someone that may be lost here. Find a place on this altar and clean things up in your life. Clean some things up in your life. Gird up the loins of your mind, the Bible says, and be holy, for He who's called you is holy. God's calling some of you to yield to a full-time position somewhere, either in this church or full-time in the ministry somewhere. I don't know what God's calling, but I do know God's calling. If you're lost today, someone to come with you. Just turn to your neighbor and say, will you go with me? Will you go with me? They'll come. They'll come with you. If you're lost, you don't even know anybody in this church. Maybe one or two people. Listen, I'll tell you, this is a loving church. It cares about you. Don't wait until the funeral briar has to go by your house. Don't wait for the call to the hospital. Don't wait for some trouble to come in your life before you yield to God. Don't wait until the pull the sheet up over your head and your soul's already gone out to meet the holy God of heaven and you'll be judged without Jesus. What an awful day that will be. Will you come right now? Gather with these around this altar. If you're on the altar tonight, you want somebody to pray with you, just lift your hand up and someone will pray with you and for you. Will you come? Heads are bowed, eyes closed. I believe there are others who need to come this morning. I believe there are others. I believe God's waiting for some teenager. I believe God's waiting for some mom. I believe God's waiting for some dad. I think God's waiting for grandma and granddad to get some things right in their life that they can be a better influence on their children and grandchildren. Some of you God's speaking to about being faithful to services. Why don't you come this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much. You've been so good to us. The kingdom of heaven is a wonderful, wonderful place. But Lord, to reject it, to reject the King of kings and Lord of lords, to reject the love of our souls is an awful thing. I pray for mercy for us. And dear God, as the pastor comes to close this service out, may, Lord, those you might be still be dealing with know that they can go to him or to me or one of these others and and be helped by it. I pray you'd be glorified in Jesus.